0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the James Sutton Posse. Today, Posse is joined by Martin Olson, legendary comedy writer. You could have seen him. Writ- well, I can't even talk right now. That's the problem over here. God damn it. I always screw up with my intros, but that's okay. We go on anyway. No editing. <laughs> you can see Martin's work on Phineas and Ferb, Milo Murphy's Law, Rocco's Modern Life. He's written for the SAG Awards for, I believe, four years. Numerous HBO comedy specials. One of the original founding members of the Boston comedy scene from the 1980s. That is right. If you don't know what that is, you haven't lived just yet. And today, <laughs> he is here to join us. He is promoting his hilarious book, the Encyclo. I'm gonna say it like an right now, the Encyclopedia of Hell Two: The Conquest. <laughs> of heaven a demonic history of the future concerning the celestial realm and the angelic race which infests it god damn that is a long ass title but it sounds freaking (laughs) epic now he sent me a review of this last night i read it and from what i understand this is supposed to be the greatest comedy book in the history of mankind and i gotta tell you something knowing this guy it most definitely is
1: so martin how you doing baby i'm doing good thanks for having me on i really liked your stand-up i was pleasantly surprised you never know right
0: thank you very much i appreciate that so
1: i will i gotta tell you i was uh
0: i'm kind of happy that you liked it because it would have been a bit strange if you had watched my stand-up and then continued to come on to the show so i know but that happens
1: all the time it it, it isn't even happens all the time but it isn't even when somebody's not a good comedian it's just because it doesn't hit you sometimes you know Everybody has different uh, tastes in comedy. It's a weird fucking thing. Well,
0: at, the, at the end of the day, it's all subjective. But uh, yeah. absolutely. But I was going to say, let's. Uh, we'll start off, I was going to say, because we were talking about it right beforehand, the Boston comedy scene. So, by the oh, way, yeah. if you haven't figured out, I suck at segways. So we're just going to jump straight <laughs> into that.
1: Well, the, here's the whole <laughs> story. Is, Why don't you just uh, launch into it? Dude, just go for it. So I had I was a I'm a songwriter. I've written like 350 songs for Disney. I've been doing it since I was 12, right? And at the same time I've been writing stories on my toy typewriter, right? And so I always wanted to be a comedy writer since I ever since I saw Brother Theodore and Andy Kaufman on TV. Amazing. So and I never met Andy Kaufman, but my writing partner was a friend of his. So that was at least something. But Brother Theodore I he got he got a copy of my first book before he died, and he's the guy that really inspired me to do comedy. He wrote uh, wrote a blur, a blurb for the for the cover of my book, and then he croaked. <laughs> so it was God a dream come true.
0: That was his last <laughs> sentence right before he died. Was a blurb for the book.
1: I I'd like to I like to think that. But at any rate, if any of you guys haven't heard. Brother Theodore, just look up David Letterman and Brother Theodore, and you're in for a treat. The guy was incredible. He was one of the first uh, nihilistic performance artists, and just just he's the guy that inspired me to do comedy. Amazing. So the Boston comedy scene, I was watching them, and I wanted to be a comedy writer, and uh, I was doing songs with my writing partner in Massachusetts, <clears throat> my songwriting partner. And we d- w- said, okay, we did four albums. Why don't we do, a, do, do some comedy records? You know, we're fans of comedy albums. So we started doing that. And then I started writing jokes and bits and sketches and wanted to go around to try to sell them. And the only thing that was around at that time, there were no comedy clubs. The only thing was gong shows. And uh, <laughs> there was one in Boston, Bruce Smirnoff, the comedian, who's a wonderful guy, he uh and has been around forever, was the host, and I tried to sell some stuff, and he was very honest with me. He said, Look, this sucks. And he told <laughs> me why it wasn't good. And I'm like 21, you know. All so right. uh, then I went in, so I saw that Sean Mori, the Boston comedian, was doing a comedy class, and so I said, Well, maybe I could learn how to do this better. So I went signed up for his comedy class, and there I met Bill Downs and And Paul Barkley, who who the three of us hooked up together because I wanted to do a comedy theater in Harvard Square, and they wanted to do a regular comedy club in in Boston. So we, the three of us, hooked up because I'm a piano player, and I was right trying to write comedy, and they were beginning comedians and comedy writers. So the three of us started the Comedy Connection in 1978. And that was at the Charles Playhouse. Um, the bottom bar beneath the theater in the theater district in, in downtown Boston. We just put an ad in the paper, Comedians Wanted. We didn't have any comedians. Are you there? No, I'm still there.
0: I lost you for a second, but I'm also still in shock that you were one of the guys that started the Comedy Connection.
1: Yeah, there was nothing before we did that. So Comedians Wanted, we put it in the Phoenix. And uh, Stephen Wright, came in to audition. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and Lenny Clark and uh, Steve Sweeney and Don Gavin and uh, everybody. We, I mean, I was there when I saw all of their first performances. It's like until, a who's who. <laughs> until the la until the end, you know, because the piano player has to be there on stage the entire time. So at any rate, uh, that's how that got started. And then uh, this guy named Jim, Jim Harris, whom I didn't know, introduced himself, and he said, "Hey, listen, channel thirty eight, which was like the the Red Sox station at the time, was in what you called UHF channels off the off the regular channels frequencies. Okay? They had monster movies Saturday nights. He said, "What if we go in and we pitch doing a comedy show using the comedians that we, we we're, were just starting? This is the first year." And so we went in and pitched it and they bought it. So we did for two years, we did a show called Lenny Clark's late show that Lenny and I wrote <laughs> and he was the host. It was a half hour of comedy a week interspersed between a, a, a shitty uh, monster movie. And it was, we had, we had a ball because we had, everybody did it. I mean, Steve Wright did it. I mean, the whole, the whole group became friends And also was way, way different because these guys had tried out, tried to go to New York and so on, but the club owner scene was so totally different because it was the comedians running the show, you know? So it was much wilder and freer and there was nobody telling anybody not to do anything. So Lenny used to do stuff, I mean, way before, I mean, he he would be so imaginative and crazy. We would would take people out into the street and do his act (laughs) out in the fucking street i mean it was amazing the the stuff that they would do and we would do musical stuff all the time you know because i was right there and lenny and i became roommates and we lived in a place that he called the barracks for for the whole time and and we had a, a comedian room roommates so uh barry Crimmins came into town And he said, hey, I'm starting this new, I I started a club in upstate New York. I want to start one in uh, Cambridge. It's at a a, uh, Chinese restaurant, sort of a Western theme. So I went over there just to investigate and Barry was super charming and funny. And he said, oh, you play piano over there. Why don't you play piano here too? So then I ended up playing piano for both clubs and trying to write material for all, all, all the comedians that that i liked so meanwhile we're doing the tv show so barry was on that a lot (laughs) it just was a homemade i mean it just was a local tv show but it was pretty fucking funny and we got kicked off finally after two years because we had a bit that bobcat goldthwaite who was very young then oh good boy using his character and he uh he was being he was playing a, a we called it in those days mentally retarded boy <laughs> and there was a preacher who was Ron Lynch who was healing him and so uh, the guy who ran channel 38 brought us into his office and he played that tape for us he said you're fired <laughs> i like no no other thing just like here's the show you're fired I like that you played it though like you didn't know what it was <laughs> um, so I took those tapes Don Gavin and I and Jack Gallagher and I and Mike Donovan and I we drove across country a couple times um, separately with each one of them and I brought the tapes with me from the show so the last trip I was with Don Gavin, and we drove all the way across country to and went to San Francisco, and all the way across during the drive, uh, Don is probably, I think he's the funniest person alive. I think he might be the funniest person. <laughs> and Barry Crimmins would send us money, would wire us money. This is before the internet or anything. And we would get a couple hundred bucks here and there and so on. But Don would had a book and a little old rumpled book that had uh, had listed all the card parlors as we went in Cincinnati and Chicago and in Reno so he would st- play cards and he would always win he's a he's a poker player and so that's how we financed our trip across the country
0: so you just card sharked your way across the country is basically what you're telling me
1: well i'm not a, i'm an idiot i can't pl- i don't can't play poker or win or do anything like that but Don was a master con man. In fact, he was famous for doing cons in Boston. For example, during the, one of the some of the biggest hockey games, which are totally sold out s- six months in advance, <laughs> He would uh, always get in and he'd get in for free by doing this con. He would uh, get an old jumpsuit that zippered up a blue jumpsuit, and he'd buy for twenty bucks a refrigerator of dolly, right? And then he'd he'd get for two bucks, he'd get a a big chunk of ice. Because in those days, the concessionaires inside the Boston Gardens used ice, the big blocks of ice. All right. So he'd walk up to the place where you were the, not the ticket place, but the place where you'd go in if you're somebody who works there. In his jumpsuit, wheeling a giant block of ice. And he said, I, uh, I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm here for the concessions. He said, well, where's your, where's your ID? Where's your, where's your ID? What's I says, what do you mean? What do you think I'm here for? I'm, I have a block of ice. <laughs> I have to bring it over to see Tony. <laughs> he made up any name. And they let him in. And then he just would go up to the second tier, and he'd take, he'd take off the jumpsuit, and he'd just throw away the ice and the fucking dolly. And he would have standing room only seats.
0: That is phenomenal. And also goes to show you the security that they had going on back then. (laughs) Well, I just just love that he just said Tony or whatever Boston (laughs) name he could think
1: of. Yeah, no, Bill. I'm here to see Bill. That's just the scratch of the surface. That's just an example of many, many things that he did because he was a high school teacher and he was so good at talking to people and and making everybody laugh all the time. He's so witty and such a fast talker. We used to go, he would say, while we was driving cross country, he'd say, uh, Martin, I feel like a movie. Let's see a movie. I said, we don't have much money. He says, don't worry about it. He says, and he pulls up here, let's watch blah, blah, blah. He says, just, I said, what we, I don't think we should spend the money on a movie. We need food. <laughs> he said, just do what I do. I said, what? Just follow me and do what I do. So we'd walk in and he would walk with his, you know, leather jacket thing zipped up go right past the ticket person <laughs> and he just, I'm walking slowly, and he just walk and say, "How you doing?" And then he would keep walking. So I did the same thing. I said, "How you doing?" And then it followed Don. And we get up to the we're in we're in. And so I said, "What was that all about?" He says, "They think we're cops, dummy." So that's how we got. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how we got that's how we saw movies all the time going cross country.
0: <laughs> I like that. How you doing? All right, let them in.
1: that ain't bad well plus he's a big guy very imposing guy
0: well that's the key but the boston accent definitely probably helps
1: you out oh my god yeah uh so we got to san francisco oh you want me to continue this it's quite a tale actually so i want
0: i I definitely want you to continue but i do want to ask you at one point during the show i do want to hear because the way you described it beforehand that you're living in the barracks with a bunch of other comics and from what i could say from personal experience that comedians are absolutely hilarious they are also absolute animals 24 7 so which i feel like it's not even an insult it's just true so my question is at one point during this story i want to hear the craziest comic story that you have if 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 you're, if you're comfortable saying that you no worries if you're not we probably will silently judge you but that's okay just, uh, <laughs> You know, they say it's my, at, my attempt at peer pressure. But I do want to hear the rest of this journey because it sounds insane.
1: Well, it was how my career got started. That's why this is it's interesting to hear because it follows to everything else I want to talk about. It's like your but origin I will story. definitely go back to say what it was like in the barracks. In fact, there's a there's two documentaries that were made about the Boston comedy scene and living in the barracks which was in Cambridge across from Harvard University. So I'll go back to that and tell you what it was like. Because it was a trip, man. It was me, uh, Lenny, Lenny's brother, Mike, Kenny Rogerson, Barry Knight-Krug. I mean, the funniest people ever. And Gavin and Sweeney and everybody was always over. there. And Jimmy Tingle. So uh, to continue the story, we end up in San Francisco, me and Don. And... It just, uh, we went to, where's the comedy clubs? And we went to Cobbs. And it just so happened that that night we, we got there at like 730. And they said, oh, why don't you sign up for the, you're from Boston. When you're from out of town, when you're in a comedy club, you have a little bit of cachet, a little mystique. I remember that happened a lot during the comedy connection days. Some guy would come in from New York. He'd say, yeah, I'm a comedian. Wow. I play at the, the comic strip. I play at the, and, and, and we would be enthralled, you know, cause we were fucking rubes. And really he just was an opening act or a middle act, but he would say, no, I'm a headliner. And so we, you know, Bill and That's Paul internet. would put him on. <laughs> uh, and more often than not, and this happened several times, the person that came in that we didn't knew, no New Yorker, k- fucking killed. So they stepped up to the occasion. It was, very interesting about this mystique thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was true of Don when we were at um, when we were at the Punchline and at Cobb's in San Francisco. So they said, "Hey, your timing is pretty good." And so Don went up and he fucking killed, right? And so they said, "Why don't you uh, join the comedy competition? We it's twenty comedians, each does five minutes, and then the next we judge them." Every night we at a different venue, and then the next week it's down to ten, and then you do ten minutes, and then the next week it's down to five. So, uh, in the you know so. So it was incredible. So we went to all of these different venues every single night, met every single comedian in 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 San Francisco, the best ones. Everyone said from the beginning, "Look, Mike Pritchard is going to win." He's the funniest guy here, and uh, right. and he did indeed win. He's a big giant, one of the. I think he's he's like Gavin. He's one of the funniest people in the world, and Don and I, because people liked us because we, you know, Don was funny, right? And so right. comedians said, "Why don't you? Where are you staying? We don't have any place to stay. We don't have any money." So I stayed with Kevin Meaney, right?
0: Oh, funny.
1: One of the funniest comedians ever. He and I became best friends. I ended up writing comedy specials with him and fucking movies and shit. And, and I w- went over to London, w- w- head writer for his show for Comedy Central and everything, just as a result of this chance thing that we did. Don Gavin stayed at Michael Pritchard's house. Michael Pritchard's wife, Mary Jo, ended up being my writing partner for 30 years. You know, we did Jesus. movies and TV shows. And it just was all because of this chance meeting. And here's the kicker. We went over to Petaluma and it was an old theater. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so, so I'm backstage with Don. We're meeting, we're talking with the guys we've been meeting each night, right? Because every night now we're all getting to know each other. And Mike Pritch- Pritchard was definitely the funniest, most amazing comedian. He was incredible. He didn't really have an act. He just made funny noises and told ridiculous stories and made faces. And he just was the funniest motherfucker you'd ever, you'd ever see. And he was fucking huge. And the nicest guy ever. It just was, he had everything, this guy. And he ended up shortly after in the tonight show. So, uh, I said, Don, I want to go out front and just watch these guys. Cause you know what I mean? I just want to see their acts because when we're backstage, they didn't even have a monitor set up. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, this guy came on. His name was Jeremy Kramer, and he was an Italian guy, and he wore this. He wore uh, an impeccable three-piece suit, sunglasses, and uh, you know, a mustache and a goatee, and uh, and thick, and thick black hair. And he did no transitions at all. He did no introductions. He just went into characters and sketches that he did, and then he'd go to the next one with no fucking transition at all. And it was the funniest shit I had ever seen. I just fell in love with this guy, and and the, and he was killing. And so I said to myself then, "This is I'm gonna this guy. I'm gonna work with this guy." And indeed, Jeremy Kramer and I ended up being writing partners for. Big shows. We both were. We split. We were both head writers for for, for shows, Comic Strip Live at Fox. We did uh, the 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 SAG Awards for four years. I think I told you that it was Jeremy and I were the only writers for it. And um, then we did, then we were head writers for for an animated series, the most expensive animated series up till that date for film Roman, which was which one. Twisted Tales of Felix the Cat. So nice. Jeremy and I became writing partners. It was just the most incredible thing. And we did Comic Strip Live for four, three years, you know? So Don came in in the comedy competition. Michael Pritchard won. Don came in third. And I think Kevin Pollack came in second, who's, who was hysterical.
0: Kevin and Pollack, as
1: also-
0: I just want to say, Kevin Pollack has one of the greatest... I mean, it's amazing impressionist. And I still say, I saw him doing, I saw an old clip of him doing the Tonight Show and he is one of the greatest, I think it was Woody Allen. He oh, does he an is. amazing, uh, to the point where you can't even like tell the difference between
1: Woody Allen and him. It's amazing. He's incredible. Plus he's the world's, I mean, all these guys were nice guys. Kevin bollock is the nicest fucking guy that you'd ever imagine. And Kevin, after Kevin Meaney and I started doing HBO specials, you know what I mean? And they came out so crazy. <laughs> Kevin Pollack called me up and he said, dude, I'm, I just got an H, a deal for an HBO special. Do you want to be head writer on it? So I said, yeah. He says, what's Jeez. the money? I said, well, I I don't know what to charge him. I, I didn't have an agent yet because I just started. It was my first goddamn year. And he said, well, whatever you got for Kevin Meaney's, I'll make it. I'll pay more and I'll make you a producer. That's what kind of a great fucking guy Kevin Pollack is.
0: That is stand up.
1: Yeah. So uh, as a result of that trip with Don, that really made my career and it made my personal life. The end of the story is this. Monica Piper, who's one of the funniest female comedians, one of the funniest comedians, she at the time was going under her real name, which was Maylee Davis. And she, I think she, they ended up fifth, you know? All right. And so, uh, she had flown in a writer from LA uh, whose name was Kay.
0: I think I know where this is going.
1: <laughs> she was very mysterious. And so uh, so she said, so at any rate, I, you know, we were mortal enemies. So, uh, you know, she didn't really talk with her much, but I didn't want to get too involved because she was the enemy. But then she said at the end of the thing because there was a big party after the winners were announced, she said, are you guys going to L.A.? I said, yeah, well, come by and visit me. I live in the canals. She had one of the last rentals on the canals, an old shack, before they built them all up. And the Venice Canals is fucking magnificent. This place, it's like a Jesus. dream come true. So I ended up going down there and we fell in love and I moved in and we got married. We had two kids. So that, she's my wife. So, so that's, that trip made my entire life. <laughs>
0: So basically what you're telling me is that Kevin Meany and Kevin Pollack are responsible for your
1: progeny. <laughs> in a way, that's I what, mean they, I they all know them. They all know our family for yeah. sure. I mean <laughs>
0: That is that is freaking fantastic. That's better than a lifetime story. But I love the fact that you referred to your future wife in this story as the enemy like three times. That's what I love. <laughs> But my question well, then she, becomes, did, did she think you were the enemy, or was this just like a one-sided rivalry?
1: <laughs> oh, no. We were fucking heavy-duty rivals because Monica Piper is super funny. And so we didn't, love you that. know what I mean? We, Don, we wanted, I wanted Don to win. So Don came in third. I mean, and that's, that was the final breakdown, first, second, and third. So that's I think actually Pollock so. came in second. I can't remember, but uh, Monica, I think, came in fourth or fifth. But uh, the bottom line of that is that um, these other comedians be- used to come over to dinner all the time to our house, and they became our kids like godparents. They would, uh, these guys would be so funny, and my kids learned how to be funny.
0: That's, ah, that is amazing. I love the fact that they like, got to know all those guys, especially I think they got to know Kevin Meaney before like, oh, he passed away, because he is, was one of the funniest freaking guys I've ever seen. I never saw him live, but oh, he's freaking hilarious. So, so Kevin
1: calls me up. I mean, this is just typical what it, what, what it was like, James. So Kevin calls me up. This is out of the blue. I'm already married here. and Oh, by the way, I had a huge wedding in San Francisco with, with my wife, Kay, who, who comes from San Francisco, but she was living in L.A. And Mike Pritchard, the guy I told you, was the funniest guy in the world. He got one of those licenses. So you could marry somebody. So he married Kay and I in the backyard in this beautiful wedding that all the comedians went to. And we had a crazy uh, uh, Dixieland band. You know, and <laughs> people were dancing through. It just was the craziest shit ever. It was so fun. So I'm just sort of painting the full picture of how that trip really created my life. You know,
0: that is insane. Although. I do want to say, because you are talking about some of the the ways that that I have a story that I want to tell you, which I think you might get a kick out of.
1: What is it? I got to hear it.
0: All right. So, (laughs) because you were talking beforehand about like the quality, like sort of like about the Lenny Clark show and the rest of it uh, and why you guys got fired off the air. So here's what I learned about Boston when I started out there. I don't know if it's something that you guys started that maybe somehow managed to infect like every other comic since then, but comics... This is why I think comics are absolutely out of their freaking minds. All right. <laughs> Especially Boston comics. This is what I learned. I learned, I learned the hard way. You never play chicken with a Boston comic. <laughs> so, yeah. So I got started out like maybe 2009, 2010. And yeah. I used to do, there was a show that they used to have. It was like, it wa- it wasn't, it was like at the back of either it was in the back of a Chinese restaurant or it was like wow. something. I forgot what it was, but it was like an open mic that they used to have all the time.
1: Whereabouts? Uh, remember? Shit. I'm trying to remember was the it name of it. Was it in Cambridge or Boston?
0: No, it was in, uh, was it in, it wasn't in Cambridge. It was in Boston. Okay. They, um, I used, so let me give you some, like some context over here. I used to have a bit, it wasn't the greatest bit of all time, but this is when I was starting out. So yeah. I used to do this bit where I'd have a buddy of mine in the audience and I'd always, like, call him up onto the stage. Now, I wouldn't tell my plant what I was going to do. I just ah, told him, ah. just just act weird with whatever I suggest. That's great. Go, okay, yeah, that's, that's it. So I'd get up. He'd get up on stage. And I'd go, okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to perform for everybody right now, a live circumcision. <laughs> so yeah. this guy would, like, freak out. Like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> I like, yeah, drop your pants. All right? <laughs> And then he'd sort of, like, skedaddle off the stage. And then after the show, he'd be like, dude, what the hell? You don't tell me this? I was like, that's the comedy. <laughs> so now, fast forward one night, I'm thinking I'm like, the worst thing I think a comic could actually do is think that they're hot shit. That's, I yeah. think, the worst thing that a comic yeah, could right. possibly do. Right. So I'm thinking, that by this point, like, I'm king of the hill. <laughs> like this, this this bit's phenomenal. <laughs> this is going to get me on The Tonight Show, like, with everybody. That's going to be amazing. I get you. So one night, I'm at I'm at this open mic like in the back of the chinese restaurant and yeah. i'm like this bit is so great but i didn't have a plant but i said this is so great i don't even need a plant i'm just going to call up a random person this is going to be phenomenal oh no so i call up needless see this was this is how green i was i didn't realize that an open mic it was all comics yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. just like there weren't actual people <laughs> uh so i get i call this guy up onto the stage i was like ladies and gentlemen I like to point for everybody right now, a live circumcision. Yo, before I said anything else, this guy dropped his pants so fast.
1: Oh. All right? No
0: underwear,
1: nothing. Oh. With
0: confidence, he should not have had. So now... Plus, he ruined the bed. <laughs> now, well, that, that's now I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Of course. So he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and now the audience is looking at me like, what are you going to do? Uh. So now I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, let me one-up this guy. So I'm like, does anybody here have a sterilized knife? (laughs) This guy took out a switchblade, okay? The the comedian who has his pants down? He took out like a – I don't know where he got the blade from. (laughs) He he took out a knife and starts cleaning it off with a lime. And I still don't know where the hell he got the lime to this day because he wasn't anywhere near a table. So now – He's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And then I just get, I looked over. I was like, good night, everybody. I was like, <laughs> like, I'm out of here. So I got the hell off the stage. I never went back for like for like three months I didn't go back. And wow. I was like, I, I and since then, by the way, I've never called anybody up to the stage.
1: I've yeah, never you know, done that. You you had a beat though, because you when you used a plant, that's the way to do it. But the, I thought you were gonna say how you totally because you bailed but i thought that you were going to say how you turned it around and fucked over that guy <laughs> turned it around listen man the only
0: other way i could have turned it around by that point was going to wind up with me in jail and i didn't want to <laughs> <come> <laughs> and i didn't want to get near let's put it this one i didn't want to get a closer look to what this guy was going with so
1: well i got a i got a complimentary story for you in the early Go for it. Uh, comedy connection uh Lenny Clark had the Wednesday night show, I think. He was so fucking funny. I mean, the, he was like Richard Bells. He was like one of the world's greatest saloon comics ever in the history. Jesus. He's also a surrealist. So Lenny would do weird stuff. And I told you I lived with him. And he and I wrote this TV show every week. <laughs> <laughs> so that he was the host of. So Lenny comes in in a priest robe, like one of those Italian pre- long priest robes in a, in a priest smock up the top, whatever the white thing. And it was around the uh, – uh, what was the ship thing where the ships would go by in the bay in Boston? It's called the something of the something. The uh, Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. Hold up. <clears throat> this is the beauty of Google. Let's see if it's shit. <laughs> Ships Bay in Boston. It's where they would come in. The ships would come in once a year. It would be like an armada and they would call it the something. It was like a religious term or something like that.
0: Uh, and so, the only thing that shows up here is well, I think I'm on the wrong page because I got the message oh, authority.
1: I know <laughs> what it is. The priests and all those all those people come down and they call it the blessing of the fleet. And so, that's holy. And that was every year and so lenny said all right we're gonna do a blessing of the fleet and he had already worked it out with bill downs to be to be dressed as as a priest and lenny oh no bill downs was the one dressed up as the priest i'm sorry and lenny came in sauntering in with a wearing nothing except a silk bathrobe and so like a super fancy silk bathrobe at <laughs> <with> bare feet <laughs> so, so bill Downs announces the blessing of the fleet he says of course We're gonna do it tonight, though, with the comedians, and Lenny steps in. He says, "Yeah, it's gonna be the blessing of the hogs," and so he had (laughs) two other comedians in (laughs) bathrobes come. Lenny just uh, just made this happen. I didn't even know he was doing it, and I was playing (laughs) music to while they were doing it. And Bill (laughs) and the three comedians turned their backs to the audience, opened their uh, their bathrobes.
0: Oh God! And then
1: Bill Downs went was blessing with a decanter thing with smoke.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: They're hogs, as Lenny said. And the audience was in fucking stitches, it was so (laughs) funny. I mean, that's sort of a parallel to the story of your bit. But that was Lenny Clark's uh, concoction. But yours had
0: a happier ending than mine. Mine was me (laughs) running off in shame, wondering what the hell I'm doing
1: with my life. Well, when Lenny then took over Friday night shows at the Ding Ho, when the Ding Ho started, that was the biggest show in Boston. There were crowds. I mean, we had, a, we had, we turned people away at the Comedy Connection for sure because we basically we just by luck ended up right when the comedy boom was starting, the timing was right in terms of the societal needs. And over in Cambridge, Lenny's show was completely, you couldn't get in. There was lines down the street in Cambridge. It was Inman Square and Lenny had the open mic night because he would he would open up for about an hour <laughs> that's a hell and of a mic because i worked with him i uh, uh, lived with him he had a box of material and i would go through hey lenny this is good hey lenny what is this he would have all these little scratchings on little scraps of paper and it was all i mean a lot of it was just nothing but so much of the stuff was hysterical And so he would piece together his act just by all these notes that he was constantly writing. I mean, that's really was the key to all these guys. Just constant writing. That's it. And so uh, I wanted to tell you about, I was piano player over there too. And I was tired because I'm playing at both clubs and I'm trying to write comedy for comedians and doing the TV show with Lenny. And initially I had, Tried to do an act, but I don't like performing. I don't like being in front of people, but I did a guitar act, you know, because I'm a musician, right? right. So, I, so I wrote uh, funny songs, that, no parodies, just funny, weird songs and shit. And I showed a nice. f- Super 8 films and uh, and had guest comedians come up. And do, we do a little like a little mini talk show. That was my act before before we had enough comedians so that I could relinquish performing. So I had a night off. It was when Lenny's show was Gangbusters and when it was packed. Bob Goldthwaite was uh, before he developed his character, the Bobcat character. Right. He used to. He was 16 when I met him. Holy he, mackerel! He knew Barry Crimmins because they both came from up upstate New York, and uh, he and Tom Kenny, who later became the voice of SpongeBob and the biggest voice actor in the world, Jeez. was his partner. And Tom Kenny also was the nicest person in the world. I mean, he and Bob Goldthwaite could win Saints Awards for being nice fucking people. It's unbelievable. The Boston scene was was unparalleled in good guys. You're like the Forrest Gump of the comedy world. I swear to God. Yeah. like,
0: well, like in a, not in like in an insulting way, but like more along the lines of like you somehow managed to like meet every single person. <laughs> Of so- I don't know how the hell you managed to do it. And I think the funniest part of this entire interview was what you just said right now. Uh, I just wanted to get off stage. And re- we could get enough comics so that way I could get off the stage. Words no comic has ever said in their life. <laughs> I, want, I want to get off the stage. Even when we're bombing, we're still going,
1: Nah, I think I could turn this around. <laughs> well, you that's are- why I'm not... That's why I'm not a performer. That's why I hid behind no, a guitar, no. and I—that's I, it. why I hid behind showing short comedy films that I would make sound films, and that's why I'd hide behind having guest comedians come up. I, I had when you're I did, like Washington. You're like Washington when he relinquished the presidency <laughs> at the end.
0: That's like, and King George looked at him and said, "A far greater man than I've ever known," or something like that. They're gonna make you king, and you're like, "No, no." <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> give it give it to Adams. Jeez. Another
1: another example of how I did relinquish was I would have Steve Sweeney he he it was his idea. Uh he said I have this dress I have this uh uh like a princess gown that I could wear. I said, "What? you do that?" He says, "Yeah." I says, "What if I put a sheet <laughs> over you? If I put a sheet over you and you sit on a stool and you're there before the audience gets in." And then uh then Wait, I what color was the sheet? White. And so then, oh then uh it just was that he was hidden and no one knew what who was under there. So then I did my songs, I showed my film, <laughs> and then I said, now we have special guests, and I pulled the sheet off, and it was Steve Sweeney in a princess gown, and he started doing his act. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> and then when he was done. I pointed to the stool. He sat down. I put the sheet back over him. I said, thank you very, mu- very much, ladies. And that was the end of the act. But that was just an example of some of the stuff that I would do because I didn't want to be on stage. <laughs> That's. I thought
0: you were going to say people walked in. They saw a guy sitting there on the stool with a white sheet over them. I was going to be like, I think I'm in the wrong meeting. I'll see you later. It <laughs> never even
1: occurred to me. But, um,
0: <laughs> I love anyway. the princess
1: Kevin, though. I was telling you about uh, when Lenny had his show at the Ding Ho, a, and this is the story of how Bob Goldthwaite first did his character. We all were shocked the night he came up with his character, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: before, Bob Goldthwaite did just uh, did a one-liner act. He was he like an angry young man. I mean, they're all really good jokes. He's a fucking genius writer. He always was. But he didn't have the – it just didn't click somehow, you know what I mean? Because he because All he was right. so angry on stage. And somehow it didn't click. Uh, and so I get a call. I, I told you I'm home. I finally have a night off. I'm at the barracks. I'm reading a book in my bed. And so because I'm not going anywhere, Don Gavin calls me up. He says, you got to get down the ding right away. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Goldwaite's on stage. And he's he's acting like a and he used that phrase because that was the uh, the phrase that was okay in those days. He said, he's acting like a retarded boy. I said, what are you talking about? He said, he's on stage. Just get over here. And it was a five minute cab ride. So I cu- quickly called the cab and jumped in it and got over. And when I get over to the ding ho, um, I, I, I walked in and the place is fucking packed, which is one yes. reason why this story was classic, totally fucking packed. Couldn't move. And I'm watching in the back and I see, see it on stage and he uh, he's in a Cub Scout uniform <laughs> and, and he's you, he, for the first time ever. He's using this ferocious voice, which was the Bobcat character, which is the first time he ever did it. And everybody in the whole place. I heard the laughter from outside. They were it was, he was killing. And all he did was he said three phrases over and over and over again. He didn't have an act. He just did it this way. It was all because he was a genius actor, comedian. <laughs> he said me, and I can't imitate him. But he said me, me, me and my brother. We saw Bigfoot. <laughs> me and me, me and my brother it would take him forever to say me, me, me and my brother, and then they would laugh, and then he said we we, we saw Bigfoot, and then they it would be a big laugh, and then he would be angry because they're laughing at him, and he's trying to tell a story. And so he said, shut up, like scream <laughs> shut up in that a ferocious voice. And then they would howl at that because he'd start the story again. And he did it over and over and over again as if he's frustrated because he can't get the story up because everyone's laughing at him. And the audience was couldn't breathe, doubled over. I'm telling you, it was the funniest shit ever. And uh, I was back with the, with Barry and with the comedians and we literally couldn't believe it because – he was such a shy guy. I mean, Bob is the sweetest fucking person in the world. <laughs> and so he did that angry act was was crazy enough because he's so opposite of who he is. But but uh, that oh, was man. the first night when he did his character. And I was so glad Don called me up because I got to see it the first time. And later on through the years when we both ended up, he did his his cop movies and we both were in Los Angeles and he came over to the... To, to our place on the canals, and we were laughing and reminiscing, and he said, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing a comedy special, why don't you write it with me? So then I ended up writing a movie with Bob, two TV specials, an HBO special. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I gotta gotta get more friends. (laughs) Jesus. So that's how, that's literally how that stuff happened. It was a magical kind of a pure, pure luck. Pure luck is what it was. And I just was there at the right time. And I'm a creative person. So I just happened to be in the right group at the right time.
0: <laughs> I, I love it. Wait, so hold up. Because I can listen to you talk about these stories for pretty much forever. So I want to get over to your book, though, because the book is definitely interesting. And I want to talk about that for a second. So let's talk about Encyclopedia of Hell 2. I love the title. The Conquest of Heaven a demonic history of the future concerning the celestial realm and the angelic race which infests it. You, I love the fact, you know what this reminds me of? Do you ever see like whenever they they have those like uh like those commercials when they're like uh where they're promoting, I don't know, like uh some sort of pill or whatever for your liver or something? And then yeah. it's just like it's great. And then there's like that guy <laughs> who speaks like a thousand words a minute, like one of those auctioneers, <laughs> telling you like if you take this pill, you're gonna die of like <laughs> And it's not safe,
1: and not recommended, not do this or that.
0: And definitely, you can get it for twelve ninety nine or something like
1: that. <laughs> it is that kind of a title, for sure. Uh, it's hilarious. <clears throat> so the idea was to kind of, because you, you did you see a picture of the book? It's I'm a, looking at it right now. It, uh, it's it's the same exact design as the first book, which is called. But it's in blue. The first book was red. This one was blue, and it's it's mimicking. It's supposed to be an ancient book written by demons. The first book was written in hell. And uh, it's about, it chronicles the demons, hell's overcrowded. So they have to <laughs> they have to right. invade earth for the land space and they use humans as food stuff. So they, the sec, first book is them <laughs> invading earth and they eat all the humans. And the second uh, book absolutely. is Satan at this point, because he doesn't remember how he, he, he created all of hell and everything out of his mind, out of manifesting it with his ma- mind and creating black magic. And all of the demons are also mind creatures, much like in the Jewish mysticism, a golem or a egregore, where where you create a demon with your thoughts. So in the second book, Satan hears these rumors from earth theologians and all these idiots about God. (laughs) And so Satan is, is... something it hits something in him because he wonders if he's a created being. he can't remember back that far. He just remembers being in black. he's determined now he sends out some enchantments and does a little research and he, he, he knows where the locale is, where the supposed personified God is because the entire universe, according to earth, is God. is God. But the right. universe can't fucking do anything. it needs a body. So the universe manifested a personification which is the personified God, which is a humanoid. Satan doesn't know it's for real or not, but he goes on a secret mission to find heaven and if God is there to kill him and take over. So that's the second book. And it tells the whole chronicle of Satan finding the true secret of his origin, how he actually got st- was created, how he got started. And it shows the final destiny of God himself and what happens after that. So it's a comedy book and it's a history book from the future that is curated from all different sources of demon scholars uh, angelic scholars historians and um and it has court court depositions (laughs) and also many inanimate objects because with uh, with the black magic and with the angels also have the exact same thing. They call it white white magic, but it's the same exact thing. They can animate any object and make it sentient. So, for oh, That's example, cool. So, for example, there's a deposition court document in here <laughs> where it's with a suicide machine. They have suicide machines and part of the story. And the suicide machine tells its story about the angels and why they all committed suicide. <laughs> so... <laughs> Jesus. So before they go into uh, the deposition, the demonic, the, the, the demon lawyer will cast an enchantment to make the inanimate object who is a witness sentient so he could tell, give his testimony. So there's a lot of stuff like that throughout it. And it just has gorgeous illustrations of all of the, all of the uh, illustrators that I had in the first book and in my two, my two children's books all signed on for this one so i was so lucky and happy james because these guys are like the world's greatest illustrators
0: <laughs> oh i gotta tell you by the way i saw the first book and like you were saying the illustration is phenomenal on that so if those guys came back it's like yeah. getting the band back together
1: i love oh, that man, I, exactly and i lucked out i'm telling you because these guys were i mean tony millionaire mahendra singh and and everybody else that was in it or i mean they were like disney artists you know i mean some of the top disney designers <laughs> Tony Millionaire is one of the craziest fucking uh, cartoonists in the world. He did Drinky Crow and <laughs> The Mackies. And he had a sequence on Saturday Night Live for for years, you know, when he would he when he wrote that stuff. Then he had a series based on his drawings. So, anyways, there's interviews with God's gun in here, you know? because it's given god's gun (laughs) and god's diary which god has written as a child when it when god was a girl also is given sentience and reads itself to the court so i had a lot of fun with this book but it took both books took 10 years (laughs) holy mackerel that's that's a long ass time (laughs) yeah i'm a slow writer but i did do two children's books in the between. Quality shows, so there were four the whole time, and one of the children's books, um, c- came in number five in the New York Times bestseller list. So I totally lucked out.
0: Good god almighty, this is, <laughs> I, I guess, she's No, I gotta tell you what I loved about this, though, well, is I love how you start off by saying, This is a comedy book, this is this, and I need. <laughs> No, then immediately you go, so I have these court depositions that I put into the book <laughs> itself. So I'm like, yeah. Oh, I was like, wait, what? Like, took me a second. I was like, did you say court depositions? He's putting on a comedy book. I was like, yeah, that like God has his own. Di-. Dude, I just came from synagogue right now, and I'm pretty sure I'm definitely going to hell for this. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I love that you just said, what was it? <laughs> God was a girl at one point, he's got a diary, and I just literally had a mental flash of God like in a pink fluffy room. Just like, dear diary, today Satan was a naughty, naughty boy. It's like, what? I was like, but you made him. I know.
1: That's why I'm making. <laughs> well, you know what? You're getting into I, I the spirit of the you're getting into the spirit of the whole thing. And the actual relationship between Satan and God in the book is fucking touching. I mean, I'm writing it and I'm crying. So it's beautiful, it, it, but the main thing is when I'm writing both of these books, I'm laughing hysterically because because uh, that's how I write. You know, I'm I just I'm, when I'm writing and I'm laughing, then I know it's good. When I'm not laughing, okay. I, don't, I think it's pretty sure it's not good.
0: <laughs> I would well, that's generally the case. Although I do want to ask you though, how come? <laughs> I like how this this is my line of questioning. It never sounds that great, but in my mind, it sounds really interesting. I was gonna say, <laughs> why? Why hell and heaven specifically? Like, why did you like always have this is this is my attempt at an interview right now. Did you always have like an interest in sort of like the mysticism and kind of religious aspect? And you figured, take that or and you can make fun of it because it's like such a sacred idea. Or did you just like go like, yeah, what the hell? Why not? It's just a cool concept. I'll just go with that.
1: No, I, I grew up as a with a religion. It was Baptist religion in a small town in Massachusetts called Littleton Mass, right next to Concord. And my father was the guy who uh, painted the church. He was a house painter. And so my you know, brother and I, my brother Tom, who's also who's hilarious, we would paint with my father. And so he was a deacon at the church, and it was a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, and my father and mother were very respectful people. and and they told me and they said, well, it's kind of made up, but who knows where the universe came from. And so these are just religions. You need to respect people's beliefs. I mean, I I lucked out with fucking great parents. So I came from a good uh, balanced background where I could make fun of it. And I was a big fan of Mark. To to answer your question of why heaven and hell, I was a big fan of Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. And so his book, uh, mysterious stranger is all about Satan and uh, just the way he handled that and all of his he wrote about you know the myth mythos of of, of Adam and Eve and all that kind of stuff and nice. so uh, it's what you said it's just that because it's so sacred and because my father had specifically told me a couple times ah, I wish they didn't do that because it makes it hurts people because they have their beliefs and the in the bible and other whatever their book is why why do that why we're all going to be dead soon anyways why hurt someone when they believe some and i didn't argue with him but it just was sweet to hear him say that stuff because in a way he's right because none of us know anything and the whole world is religious so stupid planet i mean including me and you oh absolutely so that was a sensibility that i did take to the bank but i I busted it because of what you said earlier. Because it was sacred, I could be Satan and then say any fucking thing I wanted. I love it. All, all bets were off.
0: That's, I love that. I was going to tell you, by the way, because you were talking about religion, I figured you got to kick out of the story. I, yeah. uh, you got to hear this. Oh, I heard some right. of your
1: religious stories.
0: <laughs> did you really? Did,
1: well, you me me. One,
0: did you hear the one about my cousin, uh, my little baby cousin? And now? No. All right. So. I got roped into teaching my baby cousin Jewish history. Yeah. Which uh Oh, strange... I hear this one. I yeah.
1: heard this one. All right. Tell it though. Tell it it's fucking great. Want me to... yeah. All right, fine.
0: I'll tell it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got roped into teaching my baby cousin Jewish history, which which if you really think about it? Very strange thing to teach a kid cuz a lot of death is what you figure out pretty quickly. <laughs> um like it's a glorious history, but I taught. I figured, okay, I'll teach him Adam and Eve because that's like the beginning of the Bible. That's right. And I and I got a phone call from his mother, like maybe a couple of days later. Like, she's freaking out of me over the phone. Like, what did you teach my child? And I was like, What are you th-? like? What? She goes. I was like, What happened? He goes, He's. He's afraid to eat fruit right now. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he used to love apples. He loved apple slices, apple sauce, apple pie. And my favorite part of that is he goes, he thinks if he takes a bite out of an apple, that we're gonna throw him out of the house. And I was like, you know. What? I was like, God damn, I'm a great teacher. Was like he retained that lesson. And then the worst part was, the funny part to me wasn't that was that the next time <laughs> I taught him Cain and Abel. <laughs> Which I was, so then, so then I get a phone call from his mother again. Like, what did you teach him again? I was like, well, why do you keep hiring me? <laughs> so she goes, I was like, what happened this time? Because he's looking at his sibling is like a very suspicious manner. I was like, I think he took the wrong lesson in that story. <laughs> but what I loved about that was like. He heard that story, and then somehow he identified with Kane. I was like, who does that? That's <laughs> that's not on me. That's on him. I don't know what the hell is going through his mind.
1: You know, but, I, uh, love you. I love your stories because they're because you're the only – I mean, you're the only guy I've seen in a while that's t- that actually tells true fucking stories, and they're all funny. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, can, please continue doing that because it's such a good hook, and hardly anybody is doing it now, you know?
0: Well, it's – I honestly – I was gonna say because I learned for me I grew up with like old school comics like my dad raised me watching like Milton Berle <laughs> you know all those guys what was it Sid <laughs> Caesar like those clips of Sid Caesar that you would see occasionally like all the Mel Brooks stuff and the one guy like I mean obviously right now this is this is where it kind of sounds strange so for me when I grew up my comedy like standup wise was number one standup comedian for me was Cosby oh, yeah. uh, and then followed up by Woody Allen. Which this is kind of goes to show you where my comedy was at, yeah. but uh, but to me, what I learned from those guys, and then guys like Dangerfield and you know Shelley Berman and all those guys, but um, to me, what it was all about was uh, it's all family stories. Like they they had that storytelling uh, that they always used to do. I know, so but not me, Milton. Say again. Not not Milton Burl. No, but Burl had like. Cosby, yes, yes, but no, Burl didn't have that uh, that storytelling thing, but he was able to basically just take any story like anything and just make it just insane, which I loved. To me, the funniest story about Burl was the fact that his mother used to sit there in the audience. Did you ever hear that? No. So apparently his mother was like the ultimate stage mom and she would sit in the audience during his show. This is what he was like, like the number one show on television. And she would find a person who wasn't laughing, and she would sit down next to them. And if she saw that they weren't laughing, she'd physically elbow them in the stomach. <laughs> just like, really, still laughing. Really, <laughs> that's what I heard. I was like, "That's that you got." That's what. That's a hell of a mother. Just like,
1: well, you know are first of all, you're so lucky that your father introduced. you. I love
0: that. The uh, I'm trying to think if I have a good celebrity story I could toss at you in response yeah, yes. to this. Have you met all right. him? I've met a few. Uh let's see. Uh I had I'm trying to think of a good one. Okay. So this was uh this is so I met a few of them, all right. So the uh the first one which I met, I met uh I met Marissa Tomei. Oh she's great. She's phenomenal. Not with me, but she was phenomenal. <laughs> so, oh,
1: I heard the uh, story, but tell it because it's fucking. Oh, great. oh it, you know this great. one already? God I damn! It. I gotta get I gotta get new material now. <laughs> no, I, I did a deep dive. I saw all your stuff because I liked it so much. I was laughing, so I just went on. I saw everything I could see that you did because I loved it.
0: All right, let me let me preface this by saying I went to go see. This is a bit of a long one, so I went to go see the movie. I went to go see the the Broadway play Phantom of the Opera with my yeah. parents, and I was sitting down. First off, like for me uh like i'm all the way up and you know i'm in the balcony i'm all the way up in the back and everything and i'm watching and it's already difficult like you can never actually see what's happening when you're on the balcony but i'm sitting next to this one. lady and there's a scene where the guy takes off his mask And it's supposed to be a very dramatic scene because the guy's like hideous or something or whatever it is right
1: you can't see shit up there exactly
0: yeah. but the funniest part to me was the guy took off his mask and everybody went silent and then the lady sitting next to me just goes Put the mask back on. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, holy. she just yelled out, holy shit, he's ugly. Put him back on, man. We don't want to see that. I started laughing my head off. So to me, what that reminded me of was, um, I love going to theaters where they all yell. So for me, I had a, uh, I went to go see Spider-Man three. I don't know if you remember that movie. That was, uh, the one with, that. uh, you're lucky. It was, yeah. um, it was yeah i love spider-man i'm a huge marvel fan but that one was not one of the better ones but yeah. uh there's a scene where like spider-man gets pissed off and he smacks mary jane it's a very dramatic scene and then this guy in the front row just stood up and he just goes yeah man that's how we do it and i was like
1: what the who for, i love how he said we like i was involved and just plus so, the story because i know the ending is this. Right. Instead so, of a guy but, was striking a girl brutally and right. then, then he, what did he say again? Say it again. So he yells out, this is in the movie. So the guy, so all of a sudden
0: the guy in the theater just yells out, yeah, man, that's how we do it. And I was like, good oh, God. And he, no, but his wife the girlfriend, he was with somebody and she stood up and she gave it to him. She's like, what did you say? And he goes, you heard what I said and Spider-Man agrees with me. And then he just walked out of the theater. Which <laughs> we're, like, we're like, what the hell happened? So now fast forward a couple of months. Well, what bumped, happened was that you saw an idiot who <laughs> I saw a moron, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, fast forward a couple months, I'm walking through Central Park and right. I saw Marissa Tomei. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm busting because I'm like, <laughs> she was in the Spider-Man movie. Yeah, you know, it was everything, right? So I was like, Oh my God, Miss Tomei, I'm a big fan. Can I get your autograph? And I think you know, I think she was probably like really busy at the time because yeah. she looked at me. She looks back. She looks back at me, and she just walked away. So I was like, I was like, well, you were were pissed. No, so I looked over. I was like, that's the last time I've ever seen one of your movies. So, (laughs) which is which is a complete lie because I freaking love Marissa Tomei's movies. So, but she doesn't know that. So, then the guy, I heard all of a sudden, there's a guy who just goes, "Yeah, man, that's how you do it." And I was like, (laughs) and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, holy shit. I looked back, I was like, Spider-Man 3. He goes, yeah. I was like, how you doing? He's like, not bad. I'm like, how's your wife? He's like, we broke up. I'm like, yeah, I kind of figured that one. He <laughs> <laughs> was the same exact guy. I you know what? I don't know if he was. I don't know if he but I think he just who the hell knows? It was I thought it was hilarious. I was like, oh, God damn. So
1: killer. It's so killer.
0: But, uh no, the other good the other good uh celebrity story, I remember this one, um, so the, the, the best, well, there were two. The first yeah. one didn't happen to me, but it happened to my aunt. I was with her. Do you remember Harold and Maude?
1: Oh, it's one of the, my favorite movies.
0: Hilarious movie. Yeah. So my aunt, I was walking with her on the oh, street oh. one day, and she met Maude. Really? Yeah. And then the funny part to me was like, oh, cool. It's Harold and you know, it's Maude. So I was like, okay, I got to say, you know, she's going to say hello because she's a big fan. But my aunt, for some reason, just like didn't, like all semblance of like sanity just like left. And she just yelled out on the street, you are maud. So she's like, yes, I am. And my aunt just goes, oh, my God. And then we just walked away. (laughs) Like, Like, I don't know what happened. (laughs) That was it. She she looked at us like, okay. Like, yes, I am. Oh, my God. We confirmed it. Let's move on. (laughs) Didn't bother anybody but uh the sweetest guy i ever met sweetest guy i ever met and that was, was
1: ruth gordon right that's what you're talking about i think so yeah, i yeah. think that was her name
0: she's very very talented but the oh, sweetest yeah. guy i ever met was jimmy fallon oh really super nice guy that's nice cuz we interviewed him i had a so i had a radio show back in college and somehow i don't know one way or another he was like we got him to like be on the show wow. so he, he called in The day after we killed bin laden wow. okay which was already a ridiculous thing so he was like i think he knew we were somewhat nervous so he's like okay i'll take the lead this was uh i think he had just had like late night he just got the late night show so he's like so where were you guys when we shot bin laden and everybody's like sitting there like one guy goes i was you know i was sleeping the other one goes i was doing homework i'm looking at these idiots like you can make something up like, when you're sleeping and doing homework. I'm like, you got a celebrity. Tell something, say something. So he asked me. So I told him, which was the truth. I was like, I was in the student and I was with a girl. I was eating hummus at the time, ironically. And uh, yeah. he looks back. So he goes, You can't eat hummus when you're with your girl. I was like, Why not? He's like, Because if you try and kiss her, your breath's going to smell. I was like, <laughs> First off, Jimmy Fallon. I told him by his full name. I'm like, That's false. He's like, What do you mean? I was like, Well, I asked if she wanted to hang out. She said, No. I said I had hummus. She said, Yes. <laughs> that's so he, goes, he goes really i was like yeah now let's talk about your show there's a lot of stuff you could improve no i'm just kidding i didn't say that but it been great that's first of all you gotta hire me no it didn't happen either but <laughs> he's a good guy he's he was so nice he was that's like sweet. sweet he was cool it was great
1: that's good to oh, hear. oh man i love that i never met and, him we'll say again i never met him that's good to hear oh yeah he was a nice guy
0: at least as far as i know but yeah. uh all right in the meantime i know we're coming up actually we're we're already past the hour mark i was yeah, gonna say uh, are we i think we are damn we're at an our 14 minutes that's all right. oh i don't care god. this is good stuff well let's but do it again let's do it again would, i would definitely love to have you back on the show at one point uh well i'll tell my uh, i'll tell my cosby story then <laughs> i you know what yeah i do i'm gonna hold you to that i definitely want to hear the cosby story. is it is it as good as norm mcdonald's cosby story oh my god it's better holy
1: shit that's that all right Right, it's similar because both of us have positive stories about him good all
0: right so this is a this is the ultimate cliffhanger because we're going to leave it on that then but
1: um well we have positive stories about that monstrous person (laughs) absolutely well you know before everybody found out what he was really like oh my uh, god it's so crazy so at any rate i have some insights into his psyche because he hired me so i have a whole You won't believe it. It's just amazing. But you know what? After
0: after after this whole talk, I'm honestly like I wouldn't believe it because literally every somehow or another, like I said, you've managed to meet every single person and get hired by every single person that's ever come out of comedies. I'm like, yeah, I kind of believe you got hired by Cosby, too. I'm like, God damn. But um, oh, okay. before we before we go, I do want to say. All right. Thanks
1: for having me on. This has really been fun.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I also want to say, once again, the book is entitled Encyclopedia of Hell 2, The Conquest of Heaven, A Demonic History of the Future Concerning the Celestial Realm and the Angelic Race Which Infests It. Uh, And if I remember correctly, I believe uh, you have a book sign, uh, no, sorry, you have a book release party on Zoom happening this upcoming Wednesday.
1: Yes, it's Wednesday at... Excuse me, at five thirty because it's a live event in Los Angeles time at PST. So for the East Coast, it's three hours later. But uh, it's going to have all these comedians. All these comedians I know are going to do readings from it. And uh, <laughs> I, my daughter is my daughter. I have two kids, and my son and I just finished outlining this book together, and we're working on that. My daughter and I were on the kids show Adventure Time. Which was a big children's this show, and she played Marceline the Vampire Queen. And this is played,
0: uh, this is Olivia, if I remember correctly, Olivia Olsen, Yeah,
1: Very she played Marceline, there, right? and so I played her father on the show, the Lord of Evil. So we, so we used to go to all the comic cons and stuff like that as the father and daughter. We'd sing the songs from the show. I'd bring a guitar, and we'd sing. You know, so she's going to be singing with me on the uh, book signing the virtual book signing which is this Wednesday. So if you look up feral house books uh, feral feral books feralhouse.com you'll get the information about the uh, book signing and it is free. Just p- 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 check check yeah. it out because it's I'm going to have all of my comedian friends doing readings <laughs> and making fun of me.
0: <laughs> well, well you got me at the word free, which nowadays <laughs> I think uh, anything that's free is definitely a good thing nowadays. So absolutely, but um, the last thing I got to tell you, which I think I want, I just want to say this, and then uh, we're gonna sign off. Uh, when you, fr- when I, when I reached out to you, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, okay, great. I'd love to have him on, the, I'd love to have you on the show. To, t- t- t-. And then you, you sent me a message back, and you said, yeah, you know, you sent such a nice message back. You're like, you're, you're a mind reader, which no one's ever called me that one before. Uh, <laughs> and what i liked was that you said yeah i've got a book release uh, party happening on wednesday and i want to promote my book so i was chatting with my pop earlier and i was like and i was showing him the message i was like yeah you know my dad you know i was like yeah pop look at this uh so this guy and my dad looks at me he's like wait a minute is this the podcast that you're doing i said yeah he goes do any of these people know that you actually don't have a big show just yet i was like, <laughs> I was like that's a very good que- that's a very good question. And he goes, Well, what's the answer? I'm like, I'm pretty sure they don't, but you know what? What the hell? Let's just do it anyway. <laughs> so did, So you have actually you have the honor, Martin, of being the first actual release of you're gonna be the first episode. Cause originally I was gonna like build up a bank and then I was gonna <laughs> And then I was just gonna start doing it. And then you said you got to figure out Wednesday. Oh yeah. I've got to make it happen now. So this shit's (laughs) gonna move. This is this is is the moment where you find that you just wasted an hour and 20 minutes of
1: your life. (laughs) Well, dude, you know what? I am honored. You know why? Because I saw your fucking act and you made me fucking (laughs) laugh. You are fucking funny. So that's why I did this. I mean, I looked you up. You know, so, Thank you very much. <laughs> so that's why I'm here, because you're funny. <laughs> so well, If you just continue to keep doing it, you're going to be a big
0: success, I guarantee well, it. <laughs> I believe, uh, to quote my mother, from your mouth to God's ears. Although, you're truthfully right. speaking, after you're a conversation right. about heaven and hell, I don't know how much God wants to listen to us right now. <laughs> so that's another story. Well,
1: let's talk yeah. again. I'll tell Absolutely. you the story then. And, uh, Sounds really, good. Really fun meeting you over the airwaves. And thanks for having me, James.
0: Absolutely. Martin Olson, thank you very much for joining the James Sutton Posse. And be sure to check out his book once again. It is entitled The Encyclopedia of Hell 2, The Conquest of Heaven, A Demonic History of the Future Concerning the Celestial Realm and the Angelic Race, which infests it. And apart from that, I literally have no way to end the show. So Martin Olson, thank you very much. And before, I was going to
1: say, where can we find you? Let's get your handle so where everybody could stalk you. Go for it. Uh, my my website for writing is martin-olson, olso And also the book is available on on Amazon, so you can check that out. Amazing.
0: All right, guys. Thank you very much, Martin, for joining us. We hope to have you back soon. And uh, the James Sutton posse out. Let me hit the stop button now. <laughs>